Did you know Thomas Jefferson received a 1,200 pound block of cheddar cheese for his presidential inauguration? That a 17th century pope spent $25,000 on sugar sculptures for a single banquet? Can you tell me exactly why was Marie Antoinette so hung up about cake? Medievalist and food historian Laura Carlson brings you The Feast, a podcast where meals make history. Let Laura take you on a culinary journey to the past. Find out how food and drink has changed the course of history from royal banquets to revolutionary lunch counters. What ancient and medieval foods are lurking in your kitchen cabinet? Discover the histories behind your favorite recipes from tofu to ketchup to beer. Join Laura Carlson on The Feast, brought to you by Podglomerate. Because food is just history on a plate. Dig in. Welcome to the Michelle Mission Two Men One Podcast. Every black film ever made. My name is Len, aka the Bat Tribble. And as always, I'm joined by my partner. Hey, this is Vincent Williams of It's All Soul, eight to ten Wednesdays on G Town Radio. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to 2012 to check out Terrence Nass, Terrence Nance, excuse me. Mm. Uh, to check out exactly what he was doing before. He started his random acts of flyness all over HBO's airwaves. Mm-hmm. It's 2012's An Oversimplification of Her Beauty. Ooh. A romantic drama comedy docu thing. Yes, I was I was trying to see how you were going to like I'm so glad you have to describe it. <laughs> It's an interesting piece of work that yes, we're going yes, to be talking yes, about yes, yes. on this stop on the Michelle Mission. But as always, first we like to get into our feedback that we've gotten from each and every one of you via Facebook and uh, email and Twitter and even Instagram. Ooh. Where uh, Calvin, who wrote us a couple of weeks ago, wrote us back. Saying that he is now 29 or so episodes into the Michelle mission. All right, Calvin. And after getting to episode uh, that far in, he's decided to go back to listen to the first episode. Okay. What Len said about forming opinions based upon trailer rings so true. Mm. The reason that I did not see the wood until it was on cable is because the trailer screamed this is a booty callisk film. Oh. It was so much more to me. It actually felt a lot like my adolescent years. Yeah. Keep up the great work, gentlemen. Thank you. What is what is what is the worst example of a trailer not selling a movie to you? What do you mean not selling? It? Like you saw a trailer and and you thought the movie was going to be one way and then you saw the movie and the movie was another way. Okay. Um Wow, off the top of my head, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. You know, this is very much a question I'm asking because I have my own answer. I'm sure you do. Yeah. But but I want to come up with one. Well, I'll I'll say this. Okay, boom. I'll say this. And and a lot of people won't agree with this. I thought that the trailers for A Dark Knight Rises were great. Okay. And I did not like that movie. All right. I think that happens a lot. You know, the trailers sell you on something and then you go and it's just not that good. And, you know, frankly, DC movies over the past six, seven years have been fantastic at that. Oh, yes. Yeah. But I'm thinking just sort of different messages. Yeah. And I I don't think that's really. I think someone should write a book on the marketing of arachnophobia. 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 Because remember, they tried to sell it as a comedy. Yeah, it was sort of a. And then, did you see Arachnophobia? Uh, a few times. Yeah, it it it's not really that funny. Well, see, okay, 
but humor comedy is very subjective. I think that uh, arachnophobia is a quote unquote, you know, black equaling dark. Right. Comedy. Right. right. And in in that way, I think it's a good movie. I remember there were kids in the theater who were horrified. Okay. Because, you know, you remember the commercial was John Goodman and they were playing like the light, airy music. Mm -hmm. And then you go in and a spider crawls into a corpse and sucks its blood all the way here from Brazil. Yeah. And then murders people. And I feel like a kid may have gotten murdered in arachnophobia. But. I don't think I don't think a kid, I don't remember a kid dying. No kid dying. Maybe no. that's just in my cut. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's in, your, in the cut <laughs> of your head. By the cut of my head. <laughs> anyway, thank you, Calvin. Thank you, Calvin. Yeah, I don't. I don't agree with you on that one. You don't agree with me on arachnophobia. No, I don't agree with that. I don't think there are any black people in arachnophobia. There's no way we could watch arachnophobia. No, there's no black people. All right, in arachnophobia. Not at all. Hell no. Um, I know. I know that. I know that. Um, Dark Knight Rises is not really what you're like. What you're going for, right? Right. And right. I know. I'm like later tonight. I'm going like. I should have said that movie. Right. 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 And I'm I'm pissed. So. Anyway, we also heard from uh, John Calvin Cheevers. Hey, John, who said I just listened to the Baby Boy review and wow. <laughs> Clearly, I didn't give enough credence to what Dorian Mystic had to say about listening to the belly review at the gym. I was walking through the supermarket just as you two began to discuss Melvin's assault of Jody. Oh, Godzilla, the oh, blackfish, eyes, the cornbread. Oh, my oh. God. I ain't listening to y'all in public no more. I feel like a crazy man howling with laughter. We should put a warning in front of the other. Well, we're glad you enjoyed it. Yes. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. That's that's all I can say. Yes. You know. Uh in also in the Facebook group, Brandon Payton. Hey, what's up, Brandon? He shared a link about apparently on Kobini.com they reported that Marvel originally wanted T'Challa yeah. to have a British accent in Black Panther. Yeah, it's so interesting that that's become news again because I remember Chadwick Boseman talking about this I don't, a I, couple of years ago. Oh, really? It's the first I've yeah, heard Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's part of that sort of really low-key racism mm-hmm. that, you know, as a, as a marker that this person is very, very intelligent, he must have studied at the great schools. Right. And the great schools, of course, are in Europe. Mm-hmm. So he would have an English accent. And the thought process behind T'Challa having, you, you know, the, this Zambian accent or, or this combination African accent is that if Wakanda is the most advanced country on Earth, mm-hmm. why would he have studied at Oxford? Exactly. So therefore, he would have an African accent. But the fact that this even had to be spelled out kind of talk, you know, speaks to how there's always a push and pull. Also, even if he did study at Oxford, depend, let's suppose he went to Oxford if for no other reason, just for the the uh, to suck up the social climate. Right. Maybe uh, like in the seventh grade or whatever. Yeah. Right. Because he would have been that smart. Right. But even if he did. Who's to say that he's going to pick up an English accent so strongly right. that now that is how he talks? Right, right now he has. You know what I mean? Why yeah. would he give up his nat- his natural uh, uh, accent? People from England come over here to the United States, become citizens of the United States. They still have their right British accent. Right. So do people uh, uh, from. Uh, Latins, uh, Latin people, yeah, come. Russian people speak; they speak fluent English, right. but they still have their accent, their original accent. So why wouldn't he be speaking with his original accent? Well, because he's smart, and why would a smart person have an African accent? He would have an English accent. Well, yeah, exactly. I, I see that. That's I, I can see. 
I can see Marvel slash Disney wanting to put that in there. And I can see Ryan Coogler being like, yeah, no. Yeah. Next. Well, obviously they went a different way, and I think we're all happy about that. Yeah. Get out of here. Garbage. <laughs> I mean, man, see, people, they, see, they make you mad, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tommy Moore posted in our uh, Facebook group. Hey, what's up, Tommy? Since it's so dang hot. It is hot. Can I put in a request? For do the right thing. Oh, Tommy. I don't know when that one's coming, but that's a special one. Yeah, that's a special. That's, that's a real special one. So the the short answer is no. Yeah. But, the but, short answer. But don't worry. You you will certainly, that won't slip under your radar. No, yeah. When, we'll when make we, a. When we crack that one open. We will definitely make it a, a, a thing. Yeah. When we do that. Um and hey, let, let me uh, say this to each and every one of you out there who have been eagerly waiting the return of Spock adjacent. Yes. Vince and I uh-uh. have agreed. We have. That next week. Next week. Spock adjacent will return. That's right. We already know what the show is going to be about. That's right. So we'll give you a heads up. Maybe we should give them a heads up so yeah. they can go oh, check yeah. it out. Absolutely. Um, we are going to be talking about. Well, we're going to we're going to be basically, quote unquote, reviewing, talking about a very special episode of Black Mirror. Yes. Do you remember what the title of that episode Not is? Not off the top of my head. But it's, a, it's a, the title, it's the episode, I believe it's the third season, episode one, I think. I think it's the first first season of the uh, third, first episode of the third season of Black Mirror on Netflix. And it more or less has to do with a Star Trek type of yeah, it's show. the U.S. It's the USS Callister. Oh, that's is a, the name of the episode. Okay, yes, because it's it's yeah, based and it's on the this first ship. episode of the fourth season. Oh, it's, it's yeah. I was about to say this is the season that just passed. That oh yeah, on. you're right. Yeah, you're right. This is the first episode of the fourth season, the USS Callister. Um, that's all I'm going to tell you about it. Watch that episode. Yes, and then you will be primed for the conversation that will ensue. When we when Spock adjacent returns next week, yes, um, and Spock adjacent will. However, let, just to give you a heads up, Spock adjacent does return next week, but it will not be returning to the Michelle Mission feed. Okay, well, the first the first episode will just right. to get people primed up, but Spock adjacent will have its own feed. Uh oh, on. Apple and hopefully by then we'll we'll get Spotify and all the other places to approve of it as well. So you'll be able to subscribe to Spock Adjacent all on its own. Wow, so Spock Adjacent will have its own for is this is this the beginning of the Michelle Empire? Well I don't know about Empire, but we're just doing two shows. We can't call it an Empire yet? Not yet. Not yet. I, I don't not, think two shows is an empire. Two sh- two shows is an empire. No, it's not an empire. Okay. All right. Okay. This is more work. Okay. That's what that is. Right. It's not an empire until we got somebody doing the work. Until we got somebody doing it. All right. Okay. Well, you know what I mean? All right. So, um, but yeah. its own feed, that's, that's kind of big, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, right. think it's, I think it's worthy. Yeah, absolutely. And when people do subscribe to it, they'll not only get the you know our newest episode, but they'll also see all of the past Spock adjacent episodes. Yes. And all of the past Star Trek centric episodes that yes. me and you have done together. Excellent. So, so next week. That'll be next week. Our star date next week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I, don't, I, I never knew how to. I never understood the star dates. Never. I never understood. I think there was math involved. In the up, I was out. Yeah. Uh huh. Calling me out. All right. We're going to take a pause for the cause. And then right after that, we are going to get straight into our review of an oversimplification of her beauty. 
Culture Kings is a podcast on the How Stuff Works Network, hosted by comedians Jacquees Neal and Edgar Montplacier. Every Wednesday and Friday, these two friends dive into topics ranging from sports, music, to movies, and style. They wonder whether or not Donald Glover is a genius or a weirdo. They continuously decipher Kanye West's tweets and behavior. They also have recurring segments like Queen of the Week, The List, and Top Fives like Marvel Movies and Video Games. Listen to Culture Kings and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and find out the best way to eat a taco. Oh. What's the best way to eat a taco, Vince? With your hands? With your hands. Also, with salsa on top of everything to hold the ingredients down. It's like a layer. It's the layer. Right. So that the lettuce doesn't fall off. Can't have falling lettuce. Are you recording? Hmm? Are you recording? Maybe. Yeah, you So let's say that one day you arrive at your home. It has been a long day during which you have worked no less than 12 consecutive hours. However, this particular day, a young lady has told you that she is coming to be in your company. So as you empty your pockets and begin to get settled, you see that she has telephoned you. Of course, you telephone her back. She tells you that she has just arrived at her own home and won't be coming to yours tonight. At that moment, given the circumstances, how would you feel? Now let's say that you make a movie about this young lady. To impress her, show her how you feel. You work on the film for years in countries across the world. The film premieres, screens, here and there, and here and there, and here and there. People say nice things about this film. You plan to release the movie, correct the color, mix the sound, edit the trailer. In fact, you are doing that right now, editing the trailer. You are doing this to show her how you feel, to testify to the size and intensity of these feelings. She will see the film, smile, disaffected. You have oversimplified her beauty. An oversimplification of her beauty is a 2012 American semi-animated comedy drama romance film directed by and written by Terrence Nat- Nance, following a quixotic, I never knew how to say that word, Q-U-I-X-O-T-I-C. Well, it's like coyote. So it's chaotic. Chaotic. Yo, I started sure. to say it right. Following a chaotic artist who, when stood up by an attractive woman, makes a film about it and shows it to her. This film premiered at the 2012 Sundance Film Festival and has received generally positive reviews from critics. In fact, it even won at the 2012 Gotham Independent Film Awards. It won the award for Best Film Not Playing at a Theater Near You. <laughs> I thought that was very cute. Yeah. Um, it stars Terrence Nance as well as Namika, excuse, excuse me, Namik Minter, Chanel Pearson, Elisa Becker, and J.C. Kane, and features a voiceover by mm-hmm. Reg E. Kathy. Yeah, the late great. Yes. And this is Vincent's selection for this stop on the Michaud mission. What say you, Vince, of an oversimplification of her beauty? I think this is one of those films that I know I meant to see. And and I know we talked briefly. Yeah, me too. Like, so you didn't see it either. Mm-mm. And, you know, it's, it's it's appropriate that it won that, that award for the right. film, not in theaters. Because I think it got a, a, a level of pub. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it was here in Philadelphia very briefly. Very. And then it was gone. And, you know, 2012 obviously was before we started this podcast. But I know when we were putting together, you know, sort of initially, you know, kind of spitballing, mm-hmm. you know, m- movies we wanted to talk about, this came up. And I think it kind of slipped away from our radar. And, and I know Terrence Nance has 
has um there there's been a lot of publicity around him lately because he has this this very sort of um I don't even know how to describe the series that he has on HBO, you, you know. Random Acts of Flyness. Random Acts of Flyness. It's it's sort of almost like the Chappelle show if the Chappelle show took acid. <laughs> right. And, good, and, good point. And, you, you know, just today, I don't know if, if it's been showing up on all of your feeds. He has a website that um, his production company has posted called whitepeoplewontsaveyou.org. No. Which is just a, it's, it's just clips mm-hmm. from films from it looks like the past 20, 30 years mm-hmm. of white savior figures. And there's someone singing White People Won't Save You over it. And it's like clips from, you, you know, The Help and Avatar and, mm. and The Blind Side and, you know, all of these films with this white savior figure. So Terrence Nance is, is one of those it creators. You know, he's young. He does a lot of different stuff. Of uh, You know, he's a musician. He's an artist. He's a filmmaker now. And as you said in in the synopsis, the over, an oversimplification of her beauty is simple plot wise about a young man played by Terrence Nance who is very attracted to this woman played by Namik Mentor. Yeah, and I have not seen the sentence written that Terrence Nance was actually trying to be in a relationship with Namik Mentor, but just from the film, it seems like. He was. Yes. And this is a film that he made about them. And, you know, according to the film, she didn't know that this film was actually about him. Right. The, well, the original film, because it's the like original it was a film, short because film. Because there's a short film, how do you, how would you feel? Right. And then the oversimplification of her beauty is kind of intercut between it. Yeah. Now, you notice it's very difficult for me to describe this film because this is a film that really defies description. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you call it a film and, and you know, even what you just read about it being a comedy. I mean, there are certainly funny moments, mm-hmm. but this is almost a tone poem. Mm-hmm. Like it really evokes feeling more than anything else. And I have to say, this is a film, you, you know, again, Terrence Nancy was, was, was a young creator and, you know, he was in art school, you know, he went to NYU School of Design and it's a showy film. Right. Like, like, you know, as you said, it has animation, it has claymation, it plays with time, it plays with voiceover, you know, it does all of these, he utilizes all of these skills that it's very easy to say, hey, I went to art school. Right. When you see this. And I have to say that this is the type of film. And, and, and again, I'm using the term film just just for shorthand, mm-hmm. because I think you can describe this 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 artifact in many different ways. Right. But this is a type of film that oftentimes leaves me cold. Oh, really? Because of the showiness of it. OK. And I think Terrence Nance avoids that for a few reasons. First, it's very heartfelt. Yes. Like, like it's very much this is a young man putting his whole soul on this about mm-hmm. this woman. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, there's no love like young love. Yeah. You know, there's no love like young love. And it just, like, like it, it, it just every, every, every moment of this film, you feel his desire mm-hmm. for this woman mm-hmm. so that the kind of showiness and the artifice of the showiness is overwhelmed by this pure feeling by the sincerity of it and the sincerity of it. Yeah. So there's that. The second part is just frankly, it's really well done. Yes. Like for all of its showiness, every piece Every scene, every 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 moment is so precisely placed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he worked on this for, you know, six, seven years. And you can tell mm-hmm. that not only was this a passion project, but this is a this is an artist of great skill. 
mm-hmm. and great vision. And then I have to say, at least from my part, and 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 we've we've discussed this a bit here and there, you, you know, with with films like um, A Soldier's Story. I know we talked about what I'm about to say, and and you, you know, a couple of other films. Um, I think To Sleep with Anger, maybe this comes up. I'm very interested in storytelling, right? And conversations about storytelling, and and you know those of those of you who follow our Instagram feed, you you see Lynn wrote that we were going to deconstruct mm-hmm. this film, and I think deconstruction is a very apt term for conversation because I think one of the things that Terrence Nance does is he deconstructs storytelling, yes, and he takes it apart. Mm-hmm. And he looks at how we tell stories mm-hmm. and whether we're talking about even the voiceover, as we said, Reggie, Ka- Reggie, Kathy does the voiceover. Most of it. Until Terrence Nance does the voiceover. Yeah. And this is a way for him to tell us that Reggie Canthy is reading his script mm-hmm. so that this is Terrence Nance's version of the story. Mm-hmm. There's this great. There's this great move that he does where you get a repetition of events. Yeah. But you learn different details Mm -hmm. as he repeats the events. And and when you learn new details, you get the story differently. Right. Because now you have these different details. Right. There are time jumps back and forth that, you know, again, he's – He's deconstructing the way that we listen to stories and he's critiquing the way that films tell stories. Yes. And by the end, not only is he talking about stories, I think he's talking about a very particular type of story because this is, you know, in a lot of ways, this this follows the the the, the pattern of of the rom-com where you yep. have this sort of, you, you know, forlorn you know, kind of lovable, dopey protagonist, and he's going after this woman, mm-hmm. and and the woman is the object of his affection, and, mm-hmm. and you know, this is a film that you, you know during the seventy, I mean during the um eighties, this person would have been played by um oh I just forgot Radio Man's name. John Cusack. John Cusack. Like, John Cusack would have played this character, and he's going after this woman. And, in fact, there's a moment in the film where Terrence Nance, or Terrence Nance's character, because I think the line is very blurry mm-hmm. between Terrence Nance and this character he's playing, says, I've been friend-zoned. Right. Which, by the time you get to this character saying, I've been friend-zoned, Terrence Nance has shown that he's much too smart. To kind of buy into this notion that, you know, I've been friend zoned and a woman owes me her affection and this, that and the other. And then you have this character played by Namik Mentor, who is the the, the object of his affection. Right. But throughout the film, she makes very plain that the story that we, the audience, are hearing is not the story. It is his story. Yeah. And that she also has a voice that is not being heard. Right. And the irony is that by allowing her character to say, you don't hear my voice, her voice is present. Yes. Because you realize that what you're hearing is in a lot of ways an unreliable narrator. Right. So that it's this wonderful, again, deconstruction of love stories. And what do love stories mean? So that by the end, I really, really was impressed Mm -hmm. by the craft. You know, just this craft Mm -hmm. I was impressed by. But as somebody who watches movies, you you know, we do this like 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 this is what we you know, we do this on this podcast as somebody who's interested in stories, as somebody who is very interested in, in tales of black love. Right. And, and, you know, you know, talking about other episodes, one thing that I said when we um, talked about half plenty, which in a lot of ways is this same type of thing where you have this man who has made this movie about this woman that he loves. I have a soft spot for the big gesture, like a man. And I'm going to do this big thing for this woman, and particularly when a black man does it for black women, because we don't see it that often. Right. But this really 
critiques that and again deconstructs it and put puts it back together so that by the end you have or at least i did i had these really really complicated feelings mm-hmm. about terrence nance's character right and what it was exactly he was trying to achieve so that i really 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 enjoyed and was impressed by this film well that's our review ladies and gentlemen <laughs> oh no it's not you watched it too <laughs> no i i watched this film and uh just like you you just said you know i have a soft spot for the the grand gesture the big gesture mm-hmm. that people make and i've been known to try and pull one or two myself before um I like the big gesture, but I like it when you can sense the sincerity in it. I know you have a soft spot for have plenty. I don't sense the sincerity in have plenty. Mm-hmm. Um, in this film, I sense the sincerity in Terrence Nance's part. I sense that, yeah, he wants to, you know, you know, the what happens is this deconstruction of a love story and rom-coms and all of that. But I think at heart, being an artist, being a musician, being someone who is obviously on some level a bit of a poet, that he, he is honestly, sincerely trying to uh, reconcile him, himself with, one, his Feelings for this woman, for, um, reconcile himself with the relationship that they have, that they actually have, and his part in that relationship not being all that he wanted it to be. You know, uh, who's to say what she wanted it to be. You don't really learn that until later in the film. And even then you don't even, you're not even necessarily sure if that's what you learn is whether or not it's what she wanted it to be or what she saw that it was growing into. And like, because you're hearing her after the fact, you're hearing him trying to put his feelings to film as much as in the midst of, of the storm uh, as he can, but it's very sincere. It's very, um, it's very vulnerable in what he's doing. It's very, it's just very good. It's very assured of this artist to know exactly what he wants to do how he wants to tell this very special story of his life. It's about their, it's about their relationship, but it also is about his romantic life because you Mm -hmm. see his relationship with other women, how he got got to this point. And he kind of like boils them down to the, to the essence um, without demeaning them because he says of these women that you learn from his past, you know, now is where we learn, you know, where I am with the other women that I love because I do love these women. I'm not with them. And I'm about to tell you why. And some of them or most of them uh, have something to do with inactions or actions on his part, but it doesn't, it, it doesn't change the fact that he loves them all in one uh, one way or the other, whether or not, you know, it's an unrequited love because someone is now moved across the country or one is it's just like it was that first love and you never lose your first love um, or one is someone he love he loves. But for whatever reason, he's. I can't be monogamous. I can't be as honest as I say that I'm being, Mm -hmm. you know, and if, because if I'm not honest with myself, then I'm certainly not being totally honest with you. And to put that in this film is very vulnerable, but it's even more vulnerable to me in that not only is it in this film, this film 
is a great deal of it is animated mm-hmm. in various styles. You got stop motion animation. You've got you know, uh, like just simple black and white sketch lines. You've got crayons. All type of watercolors. All type of different animation going on in this in this film. And to put so much thought and um, perspective into those moments, because many of those moments are done animated, to me is even a more honest presentation of your feelings because you could just be on film and just say these things. But no, you actually are trying to craft pictures that will in many ways, tell you the story without me having to say anything. Right. You know, try, trying it in as many ways as possible to, to get across to you exactly what I am feeling. And in doing so, that is just cracking open his heart and just letting, letting it all out. Um, and I really, truly felt for him. I, I have very rarely have I watched a film and felt like damn like <laughs> and I, I just watched this movie I was like damn man and like one I just said like I don't have I consider myself you know I'm an artist I don't have enough poetry in my life in, in me to do what this man did in this film mm-hmm. it is just it is just really uh, magnificent um, and it is a grand gesture to this one woman mm-hmm. and I can, and yes, it is primarily his voice. Yet when she brings her voice in like about, about three quarters of the film mm-hmm. in her, her voice comes in and then the film takes on a totally different contexture because now, like you said, when her, with her voice, you're realizing that you were listening and paying attention to an unreliable narrator. And you actually revisit some of those earlier scenes again from her perspective. And while he was unreliable, he was only unreliable in that he was just letting himself, it was only his story. And he was trying to, as best as he could, depict what he he felt she was feeling in those moments. And I don't think she ever really gives you a true insight into what she was feeling in those moments. I think what she does is give you a, an insight of to how she's feeling now at this moment of taking it all in. Right. Um, and that in, in it, in and of itself is powerful, uh, especially because you can see not only that there is a sincere attraction between these two yeah there is also a sincere uh camaraderie a sincere friendship yeah and a very sincere love that maybe only goes you know to one point or another with with each other and in that way it is it is uh truthful it is a little heartbreaking yeah um but it is also that much more magnificent of a moment that he would uh allow us and then and then by way of her being there at the end she would co-sign on allowing us to bear witness to this yeah and i just thank him and her for this experience. It was really just a really magnificent, such an assured, you know, film and uh, an experience. Unlike I have, I don't think I've ever felt this way watching a movie. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think, you know, again, it was a short film initially, and then he mm-hmm. filmed the the and and there was a series of years. Yeah, and even within the film, he talks about he was afraid that he was losing that feeling. Yeah, and then he, as he was going back and editing the older footage, he would relive it again. And there are moments, and and I think I think you're right. The heartbreak 
is he does such a wonderful job, again, capturing the feeling of it. Mm-hmm. Like just that the intensity of it and 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 that that sort of achy sweetness. Right. That even in the few scenes that you can visually tell are filmed later. Mm-hmm. The film stock is 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 a bit of, of is a, of a bit more quality. Yeah. He actually looks a little older. Yeah. She's grown her hair out a little bit. Mm-hmm. And the feeling is a little different. Yep. In the later and and that's, I think that's where some of the heartbreak comes from because they had that moment. Yeah, and then that moment, even within this film, has faded a bit. And back to her voice, I think she knows. Well, quietly, I think both of them know, but but she just acknowledges that this feeling is as good as it's going to get. Right. Like, the two of them could never have really been together. Right. Like, not really. Right, right. And right. it's almost better that we have this. Exactly. But, but and, you know, something else that, you know, talking about, you know, this, this wonderful young love, this is very much a modern love story. Mm-hmm. And and these are two young people. The of you, you know, as you, you I, was, I was re-listening to um, an episode, uh, an older episode, and you refer to people as you know, these are children of the twenty first century, mm-hmm. and these two are very much young people of the twenty first century. Right. This may be the best use of cell phones <laughs> as metaphor. Yeah, that I've ever seen in a film, and and. And how, you, you know, it's it's like this very tenuous connection between people. Yeah, it's it's the illusion of intimacy. Yes, but it's not how how it, it it's the ambiguity of the text messages. Yes, and 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 again the illusion of intimacy and closeness that can be severed very suddenly. Exactly, and I just loved it. I did so. I just loved it. You know, going into subway stations, people texting you, you know, and opening their heart to you, but then you don't text them back. Right. And what does that mean? And and just the way he used it throughout. It really is. It's it, it, it's it's fantastic. It I I you know, having gotten all of that out there, I will now speak to what you were talking about, just the, the technique of this movie mm-hmm. is astounding Mm -hmm. the whole idea of you know breaking everything into chapters that has always been done before right but with this you know i just i was like really invested in in following the chapters even just the way like you know the the chapter headings were done when like this kind of like chalkboard type of way was like really just drawing me in the the moments when uh the voiceover would be saying one thing, but then there's captions on the on the film that are telling you that are giving you maybe a subtext of what the voice of what the voiceover is giving. You know, even though the voiceover is saying one thing that that may the picture may not necessarily be giving you as well uh, was just really just really striking. There's one moment where when her voice comes in and she's talking about, you know, how this is just my one side and, you know, the, the film is just my one side. He never really gave me opportunity to have my voice. But meanwhile, the, the, the captions are, are filling you in that he actually had given her opportunities that she didn't take right over the years. And it is only now that she is ready to give her response. And even then, she was, you know, playing coy or whatever or not getting it done. So she basically is recording it and right now. Right, in real he's time. In real yeah. time, making her respond. Right. You know? So how much can you actually believe this? Exactly. You know? So I, th- I thought that was really, just really smartly done, man. Just all the way down to the font that was used. I mean, and then the animation... There was one um, moment, the moment where you were talking about 
how in the newer days, and he's talking about how he's losing the feeling, he's losing the feelings of his his ex lovers who we had already introduced been introduced to right and now he's talking about how he is you know he wonders does he still feel the same way for for them or for their situation because now he can see their situation for what it is right and there's one uh relationship who he seemingly like was like in a great relationship with or was trying to get into a relationship but she um, went and found another another person that she fell in love with, another woman right. who she fa- fell in love with. And, you know, at first, in the first half of the film, when you're introduced to that, you're like, oh, well, you know, maybe she they, they weren't meant to be because she found a woman, you right. know. But then when you when he revisits that, he he understands like, yes, she found the woman, but she found a woman because the dude in her life, me, Right. Was not honest, was not there, right. was not emotionally open, you know, all these things that I was saying that I wanted. And this is what I would want in a woman. And I had in a woman. And then when I got it, I wasn't I still was, you know, just a jerk off about it. Yeah. You know, and I thought that was in. Um, he was realizing his faults in that situation and the way that that it's all played out in the animation as whereas the, the other woman becomes larger and him that much smaller, but still a friend to her still in her, right. You know, still there in her life, but just smaller, more diminished. And that's a place that he put himself in. He didn't have to put, he didn't have to be there. It was all him. And he was realizing that, um, it's just, it's just a smart, just a really smart and you talking about the time shifts that are in this movie that is something that especially in 2012 because by then you know Quentin Tarantino is the thing a dude right. who time jumps all over the place in his movies right and a lot of times when Quentin Tarantino does it you you it seems kind of cool right but more often than not he's just being showy Right, exactly. You know what I mean? He's just being show. He's just doing it because he can get away with it. Right. This feels so intentional. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So thought out. Yeah. You know, um, because the time jumps are taking you, uh, are reliving situations from a different angle, from a different perspective, with more different set of circumstances, different information. Um, it's just so so smartly done, and for it to be his first film, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, like my God, man. Yeah, at one point he actually he actually says it, and and you know he says that that he does not subscribe to the Western definition of time, mm-hmm. and that you know an Afrocentric definition of time is is more you know holistic, right? Rather. And he says it, and it's almost like a Rosetta Stone to the rest of the film. Yes. Because, again, he layers, like we're saying time jump, but even time jump, I feel like, isn't as descriptive as what we're talking about. Because this isn't a matter of, you know, it's one, two, three, and then he does it, you know, one, three, two. Right. No, not at all. It's almost like different moments slip Mm-hmm. into each other yeah so you know it's 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 this moment of time that's red and a moment of time that's blue mm-hmm. but then you get a purple time right so that it just goes back and it, and it goes back and forth within each other and 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 I, 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 like you just said the the intentionality of it that he had this clear vision to keep this straight it's 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 masterful it yeah. really is, and like you said, for his first film and for a filmmaker this young, it's it's extraordinary. It really is extraordinary. Yeah. There's a scene early on in the film where it's just a profile shot of him and and Namik, mm-hmm. and they're looking at each other, and then in between them, in between their profiles, there's. The two of them are seen. There's a voiceover happening. And I can't remember exactly what the voiceover is happening, but they're kind of looking at each other. And it's about and it's about them being friends, but also possibly 
being more. Right. Um, and him wanting more. And them in between the two profiles that are looking at each other, like like they're almost like in a scene together looking at each other. But in between them is the two of them like in a mid shot and they're kind of like playfully like exchanging glances with one another, you know? And then the the, the scene would freeze and then in the silhouette of them in between their profiles, then you would see them again move too closer to the profiles and interact with the profiles. Yeah. It was, I was like, whoa, what's happening here? It, it, it took me back, but it really took me back because it was just so well done. Yeah. And just added more to the visual poetry of this movie that I was just, I was just, and I was just enthralled with what was happening. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you know, just to maybe go back, lift up a little bit more to a surface level. I think it's worth noting just how beautiful everybody is in this film. Yeah, you you know, I think the thing about a story like this is that as the viewer, we have to believe that the object of the protagonist's desire is worthy of this level of passion. Mm-hmm. And Meek Minter is, is, is beautiful. I mean, she's gorgeous. She is gorgeous. Go and the way he captures her. Yes. That's the thing. Really puts us in his space mm-hmm. that you feel like this about yes. her. Yeah. Because of what he's done. Right. I just love this world. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I love, I love this, this, you know, Terrence Nance's character's life. Mm-hmm. I love the life of the people around him. It is unapologetically black, but it's this sort of black bohemian New York life. You know, it reminded me kind of very, you know, superficially or, or the feel of it of um, medicine for melancholy. To agree, yeah. You, you yeah. know, just this kind of young life, this young urban life. So, and these characters couldn't exist anywhere but in this world, right? You know, they're 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 you know they're global. Like you know, it takes place in Los. I mean, not literally takes place, but he name checks you know different parts of South Africa and Los Angeles and New York and. And, you know, you even get footage of him as a child in Dallas. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's a wonderful representation of black, like just on that level. Yeah. Just on the level of image mm-hmm. of black bodies and, and black people. I like the whole bit about how his upbringing, which he, you know, compares to, you know, the upbringing of, uh, uh, as seen on the Cosby show. Yeah, he says it's the Cosby effect. Yeah, you know, did not prepare him. Right. For, you know, this, what he was dealing with. Yeah. But at the same time, he does not have some deep set trauma I don't, I that, that, you know, leads him to right. being this kind of emotionally stunted yeah. man. Even though he did look weird carrying, you know, trying to put together the jigsaw of a Japanese bed. I mean, he's and carrying it back and forth on a subway. I mean, again, this 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 is the John Cusack character. Like, that's something. That's true. That's something that that I, I, I'm making this bed for her. I'm making this bed for her based on some designs that I found in a Japanese carpentry book that I couldn't read. That I couldn't read. I, you know, I think this is some. You know, this is also a character that um, what's my man's name? Played Dick Grayson. Just speaking of Batman. Rises. Oh, Jordan Gordon-Levitt. Yeah, Jordan Gordon. Like, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Like you know, there's this sort of tweeness to it. Mm. Like, like you know, he's sitting in there and he's playing a little ukulele. Yeah. And yet again, the sincerity of the character. Oh yeah. Kind of brushes away any hipster scum or artifice or to artifice it. that you would have. So. Yeah, it's a fantastic film. It really is. It's, it's a fantastic film, and frankly, I can't wait to watch it again. Me neither. Like, it's, like you know, I, I think for this, at least on mine, I you know, I watch it one time. Mm-hmm. I take my notes, then I come in. Mm-hmm. But there are films that we have talked about that I wanted to cheat mm. and watch it again. 
Yeah. And and I can't wait to go back to this and 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 I actually have not seen an entire episode of um Random Acts of Flyness. Random Acts of Flyness because again I wonder and I and I can't wait to go. I've checked out a couple of episodes. It's an interesting show. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's it it's right in his wheelhouse. Yeah. He he's still in the same wheelhouse. Yeah. Um it, it, but it's a very interesting show. Uh so I'm digging it. I'm digging it. You know, I think you will like it. I'm I'm looking forward to. It. We should probably mention Flying Lotus to the music. Yes, we should. I'm a fan of Flying Lotus, so. Yeah, the soundtrack is banging. Yeah. The f- soundtrack to this is banging Charmel Scipio, who actually said that she just saw oh, this yeah, film yeah, a yeah. month ago, said that the soundtrack is amazing yeah. and she is absolutely correct. Right. I mean, it's it's got the bona fides. Like you look at the thing, it's like Dream Hampton Quest Love, Jay-Z. Jay-Z, yeah. It's like, oh, this... No, oh, yeah, they're all producers. Right, right. They're so not he, in the film. Yeah, he has certainly arrived. He has. Oh, also, just small note. I love that the opening credits, because it's all of the credits. And why is it all of the credits? It's all of the credits because he knows exactly how he wants to end this film. And he doesn't... And he wants how this movie ends to be the exact end of the film. And I mean, it's, it's the, it's, it's the use of the cell phone. Yeah. And it is, it's jarring. Yes. But I think that's, and, but it was so, it was so, it it was like, Oh dude, you just, this is the end. That's the bow brother. This is the end. That is the bow. I'm with it. I, I, I am so, with it and i'm glad that to have taken you know this stop to have seen this film and i will shout from the mountaintops for people to see this movie okay it's a great this was a slept on movie hey it was voted the best movie not in the theater near you so yes it's not in the theater near you i I think it's an intimidating movie if you allow yourself to be intimidated i I think it can be i think the way we are trained to watch movies Mm-hmm. We go into these films and we want to put our arms around it mm-hmm. and kind of figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a film that is so sort of amorphous. Mm-hmm. It kind of defies that. Yeah, like I said, you, you know, almost it, it almost feels like the language that we're using is too clunky mm-hmm. to talk about. Like even calling it a movie. Yeah, like. Like even this sounds pretentious and overwrought, but it is almost an experience. It's you know why it feels like an experience because with all of the animation and everything that is happening in this film, and like you're returning to other scenes and looking at it from different angles and all that type of stuff, it almost feels like you are looking at this man's dream. Yeah, yeah. I actually saw an interview with him earlier on um on Real Black. Okay. Yeah, it's a great interview with him on um real shout out to Mike Dennis, where he talks about he didn't even he thought that this would be in a museum mm. as opposed to in theaters. Mm. And you know, apparently well, he, he wasn't a well, I mean he wasn't a trained <laughs> filmmaker. Okay. So okay. he wasn't thinking about this necessarily like we think about a film. It's it's okay. almost like right. an art installation. Okay, I got you. So maybe not a museum. And, and that's my word. He probably said gallery. Okay. You you know, because... Well, I will say, I, I, watching this film, and especially with the vulnerableness of it and what it speaks of, you know, not only the human condition, but of, you know, young love, like you said, and by young, we're saying like mid-20s. Yeah. Um, and just and black love, it would be very interesting to watch this movie in a group, yeah, with oh yeah, people and having a dialogue. I could see this opening up a a very interesting dialogue. Yeah, yeah, because because I mean, how often do you see black male vulnerability like this? Yeah, yeah, you know, and I could, it, but it being ringing so true i bet a lot of the emotions that he laid bare in the on this work um a lot of guys the toughest brothers you know um have shared experiences yeah with this man yeah it's really y'all should see it so that's the recommendation yeah go see an oversimplification of her look this is your film yeah yeah. no 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 no. I, i i completely agree i completely agree that Everyone should watch this film. 
and 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 give yourself to it. Mm-hmm. Like like just give yourself to it. Like don't you know don't try to actively engage it. Right. Just turn it on and 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 let it you know let it wash over you because it is a film that you can't do that. Like you can't just grapple with it. Like like you have to just experience. But yeah, I'm I absolutely recommend this film. Absolutely. There you go. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Um, thank you, Vince. Hey, I appreciate that. Well, you know, again, this was on on the list of films that we talked about. Pretty dope. All right. Before we tell you what we're going to be watching next week, ladies and gentlemen, I invite you all to like and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Michelle Mission. Email us any of your thoughts or concerns or suggestions to Michelle Mission at gmail.com. You can find our show as a radio show every Saturday at 1 p.m. on WPPM 106.5 FM here in Philadelphia and Camden. People Power Media, Philly Cam Radio. Got it going on, ladies and gentlemen. And spend your Monday mornings with Michelle at 9 a.m. on WKDU 91.7 FM, the voice of Drexel University. And you can check out our show, streaming, coming to you live and direct as a podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, Google Play, and as a proud member of the Podglomerate Podcast Network. Yes, sir. All right. So, next week. Next week. Oh, it's my turn. It is your turn. And I am still having fun in the 1950s. Uh, You know what? I like you in the 50s. Because that gives me the freedom to bounce around. Yes. So, I like this. So, I am having fun in the 50s. And I'm having a... I thought I might do a little uh, six degrees of separation. Okay. So, because we just happened, you know, go from... Tap with Sammy Davis Jr. Yes. To Ana LaCosta with Sammy Davis Jr. and Eartha Kitt. Yes. So now, well, I, I can't get from from oversimplification, but from Ana LaCosta with Eartha Kitt, I can get us into 1958 Eartha Kitt in St. Louis Blues. Oh. In which she stars with. Ella Fitzgerald. Yeah. Cab Calloway. Oh, yeah. And Nat King Cole. Nat King Cole. Yes. Very nice. So we're going we're gonna to get our music on. Very nice. Have you ever seen it? I've never seen it. I feel like I've seen clips. I don't know if I've ever seen it from beginning to end. I take it as a musical. I mean... Cab Calloway, Ella Fitzgerald, Nat King Cole in the lead role. Sounds like a musical. And Louis Armstrong isn't in this? Let's see. Who else is in St. Louis Blues? St. Louis Blues. Yeah. I guess that would be the proper way of saying that. Let's see. We have uh, Nat King Cole in the lead. We have Eartha Kitt, Cab Calloway. Ella Fitzgerald. We have Mahalia Jackson. Ruby D. Mahalia Jackson doing with all these sinners. <laughs> wow. Pearl Bailey. And as a young Will Handy, which is the, the lead character, yeah. playing Will Handy as a boy. Billy Preston. <laughs> nothing from nothing leaves, leaves nothing. nothing. You got to have something if you, you want to be, be with, with me. St. <laughs> Louis Blues. Boy, I can't. This is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. Who did you ask was in there? Um, I thought I felt like Louis Armstrong should have been around somewhere in this. Nope. Okay. Nope. He is not in here at all. Maybe I've not seen anything from this. I'm looking forward to this. Well, you will now. Well, I will now. Next week on the Michelle well, Mission, I ladies and gentlemen. Them. You know what I love about the Michelle Mission? We watch a black movie every week. What a great idea. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Someone should do a podcast like that. Hmm. 
who should do a podcast? <laughs> well, there can only be one podcast. Right. But maybe if we got two men to do it. Right, right. That they would, can watch that would help to kind of Because that's a lot of movies. That's a lot of movies. So. All right. I'm looking forward to this. All right. All right. Hi, ladies and gentlemen. We got to get out of here. He's Vince. I'm Len. And in parting, we say. We'll see you when it's time to meet again. It's time to bid adieu. It's been a pleasure knowing you. I'll see you when it's time to meet again. This FT podcast was brought to you by Credit Suisse. Entrepreneurial ideas can change the world. As a bank with deeply rooted entrepreneurial heritage, at Credit Suisse, we are driven by the idea of making progress happen. Do you have what it takes to be entrepreneurial? Find out what makes this way of thinking different and what you can learn from it. Discover more at creditsuisse.com progress.